0: Daddy Squared, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Jan Megan.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast. I'm Jan. I'm Alex. And I'm Daniel. Thank you, Daniel, for joining us again for another episode. Um, Alex and I sat last night to watch Big, the movie Big from the 80s, because we wanted to make sure that uh, it's appropriate for our kids to watch. By the way, not yet. Uh, But there was a baby crying scene. I think I
2: was your kid's age when (laughs) that thing came
1: out. (laughs) There was a baby crying scene when the mother picks the baby up, and he's like shrieking, crying. And Alex turns to me and said, Did we have this? Like, Did it happen
3: to us? It's been wiped clean. It's whistle clean. You know, I used to get angry at my mother because I would call her and I would ask her questions. Did this happen? And did that happen? And did the other th- thing happen when we were little kids? And my mother would say, uh, explicit lyrics coming. My mother would say, what the fuck do I know? I don't remember that. And I would be like, how could you not remember a thing like that? And now I'm realizing this is God's great gift. <laughs>
1: is it though? Because I remember it's stereo. And I told Alex, oh, the- do we have it
2: stereo? Yeah. Um, Wait, but what was the question? The baby crying? They, like it's it more, was, it was like more than crying. Cry. It was crying. Was, crying.
3: And, and I was like, "Wow, did that? Did we really do that?" And She
1: picked it up. It was the middle of the night, right? Yeah. Uh, it, she, it
2: it kind of goes even back to like old loves and the pain that you had when a, when when you were breaking up with somebody, right? And yes. You forget how painful yes <laughs> that was. That's
0: clear.
2: Daddy Square, the Gay Dads podcast.
1: Today we're going to talk about raising children of different race.
3: So that was another subject brought to us by our listeners, right? Yes, it was. We and, love and, that. And by the way, just as a reminder, hello at DaddySQR.com is a way to write back to us. We love the ideas that our listeners uh, bring to us, and it really helps us make something more valuable.
1: And we hope we're going to do this justice because it's a big subject. Yeah. Hence the topic of Big Last Night. Yes. I mean, it hard oh to together. Oh my God. It's all big. It's, together. Together. it's the big episode. We have Jennifer Bliss with us in the studio. She's the director of adoption and foster care at Vista Del Mar Child and Family Service. And we were joined by Lane Marshall on Zoom. He's a dad and former adoption social worker who led transracial adoption workshops.
3: It's a valuable subject and it's also a very challenging subject. It raised a lot of questions that I'd like to talk about after the interview, after everybody's yeah. had a, a chance to listen. And
2: so let's go in and listen to... But, but before that, Daniel, you adopted transracially, right? No. Well, yes. Basically. Uh, I, it's funny because I this actually is a really in, interesting conversation. Okay. Because I don't see Torby as transracial. But yet oh. he is because he is of Jewish and um, Mexican descent. So, yeah, mm. he is. And that really talks to the subject that I would like to raise after the interview.
3: Okay, so
1: let's hear the interview first, and then we're going to have our discussion. So let's go to our interview with Jennifer and Lane. So we have two people with us today. Jennifer, hi. Hello. And we have Lane with us. Hi. I want to start uh, the conversation with just talking about, in general, how many kids... um, going through adoption, maybe you can answer it, Jennifer. How many kids are uh, going through adoption system and um, in terms of races? And you can give us a little uh, general um, concept or background.
4: Okay. Well, for people looking to expand their family through adoption, there are three ways to do that. One would be through international adoption. One is through foster care adoption, which is usually referred to as foster adopt. Mm-hmm. And then the third is through private adoption, which is when people go through an agency or an attorney to adopt domestic private adoption and those are usually infant adoptions mm-hmm.
1: what does it mean to support a race a child of different race
4: well i think that i can sit here and offer the professional opinion and also anecdotally my experience over the last 20 some years yes please <laughs> from a professional point of view i'm really grateful that we have mm-hmm. lane here because he has lived the experience yes that's decades. why he's here yeah so um i can tell you that Adopting in and of itself and choosing to be an adoptive family adds an extra layer of parenting because you are raising an adoptee and that comes with its own set of challenges and psychoeducation and toolkit that the parents should have to help navigate um, different instances over the years with their child. Mm -hmm. Choosing to adopt transracially adds another layer to that parenting experience because while it's tempting to say I will love you no matter what, no matter what color your skin is, it's beautiful. We have to be careful that we don't minimize the difference or mm. make it like it doesn't matter because it will matter to your child. And minimizing it um, basically invalidates their experience.
3: I was going to get to this later in the in the interview, Go but on. you just opened the door to it now, so I, I would really like to. So that statement that you just made that we need to be careful not to minimize the difference in race— Um, is very challenging to me because my question is this. I know that my little children don't know squat about race. They don't even understand what, well, now they're starting to understand it. Is there a possibility that... What you're actually doing is creating more of an emphasis on the rate on race than the child would ever have had in the first place. Well I'm just throwing this out there. Daniel is nodding in his head. Perhaps it's devil's advocate, but but my question is, why not say, Oh no, 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 honey. You're just my child and I don't we're not gonna do the race thing.
4: Well, your child, regardless of what information we put out there, is going to notice whether that child says to you, mommy. I'm chocolate and you're vanilla, right? Right. So when we say, Oh, we're not going to do race. I think that that comes from a fear of parents that there's this ominous negative thing yeah. that would happen or that somehow we're going to exaggerate the divide, right? So things that make us different. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, the things that make us different, it's are not the things that are dependent on the parent-child bond Mm. right the parent-child bond is about love experience that you share together right and whether or not my child's an amazing piano player and i can't play piano for my life or they wind up tall and i'm short or whatnot is not going to have any effect on our parent-child bond right so i think a lot of times that desire to shift away from acknowledging it comes from a fear on the parents part rather than what's best
0: for the child how many how many kids do you have i have uh, two two kids One is 21 now, and one is 17.
1: Okay, so you went through the whole—you adopted them when when they were babies.
0: We we adopted them at birth.
1: Okay, okay. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience? First of all, going into um, going into adopting children of different race, did you have any um, any thoughts about that? Any worries about that? And you know, how was it like, like uh, raising them?
0: To go back to when we were adopting, we first started to not be open to other races only because we were already gay. We were already Jewish <laughs> as, as my mother would say, Hey, gay, Jewish and black. <laughs> <laughs> it's a triple whammy. Um, and she, and, you know, I, I mean, that was sort of our fears of, you know, homophobia, anti-Semitism, and racism. Right. Um, first of all, I, I, as a parent and, also, as a as a adoption uh, social worker, which I was for many years, I led transracial uh, adoption workshops. The one thing when you're talking to parents already is it doesn't matter if you say you're colorblind or not. <laughs> it's, it's a big red flag. It's a big, big red flag because the, re- the world does not see your child in a colorblind way. And the child has to grow up knowing that people are not seeing them the way you're seeing them.
1: So at what so age do you that, start? That is, the
0: big, that is the biggest misconception from parents. I'm going to be colorblind and I'm going to love them no matter what. And that's never in doubt, but that's not, that's not the issue. The issue is when that child walks out of your house with you or without you, they are seen differently automatically. Sure. My children, Throughout their childhood, were always seen differently, judged differently. Uh, people talked to me about their racist thoughts up front because I was white, even though my children were, were not. It, it's a very odd thing. And you realize that people are not seeing your children the way they would see them if they were white. Right. And, uh, you know, you have, you know, the, the Trayvon Martin moment, you know, and of course, we've had so many of these. We have to be able to teach our children that the children are, that they're going to be seen differently. They're going to be judged differently. You have to have, as black people say, you have to have the talk. It's not the talk. It's many talks, right? Yeah. It's, it's a lifestyle. Many talks. And I had to, we have to talk about our kids are both driving. We've had to prepare them for the fact that they're going to be stopped because they're, they're black. They're going to be stopped on the road, perhaps for no reason. And where to put their hands on the wheel and not to risk their lives with police. Uh, they have to be cautious in a way that I would never be. have to raise my white child. Like, I have to talk to teachers and get past their misconceptions about the low, the low expectations of my children because they're black.
1: Danielle, were you saying something about your experience?
2: Well, and I was going to tap into Lane because it becomes so vivid. Um, he deals with the black and white. Issue where uh, in our family Torby is Caucasian and Jewish and we've done now the 23andMe mm-hmm. and got even the, the more in-depth look at what his uh, ancestry comes from. And so visually he's kind of more of a Latino mm-hmm. look. Um, he, especially over this last kind of year or so, after doing the 23andMe and he's just becoming more cognizant of his uh, surroundings, he's nine and a half years old, um, he's very much asking a lot of questions about Mexican culture and does this, is this where and how I come from. What is the difference
3: between um, sort of communicating with your child about the challenges that they may face as a result of their race or about of their, the difference in their race from their parents' race? What's the difference between that and their culture? because I have to say again this is where I get stuck um my children's you know my my children came to us via IVF not not adoption but nonetheless uh, their culture shall be whatever it is that they experience as a result of their upbringing with me, and and and, but you and bring, Jennifer yeah. wants but, to say something. But you bring
2: to mm-hmm. that everything of your family. I mean, well, right. Your family, but so what I'm asking exactly? You so, go back to Israel, and they get the culture from their. But they
3: don't get it because of their biology. They get it because of their exposure. And so my question is: If you have a child who is a different race from yours, what is the meaning of "I shall"? expose you to the culture of your race?
4: Well, I would say it means different in the sense that we can't assume just because you're of a certain race that your culture and ethnicity is an absolute. So somebody who's black, they might consider their culture African-American. But right. what if they're actually African? Right. Right? So I think that we can't assume and we actually have to honestly um Make a point during an adoption process to learn about the actual genuine culture of the child that we're adopting because maybe the biological parents really do identify as Nigerian, right? And that's yeah. a different culture necessarily than somebody who identifies as you know South African or, Af- or Af- African American. I don't want to negate everything you're going to add to your child's. Cultural experience and identity mm. but I, at the same time I don't want to negate their history of their roots before they entered your arms. So, so I, I yeah. guess to finish my thought I would love adoptive parents to see their child's culture in a family tree like mentality where the biological family are the roots of the family tree mm. and your family is the tree. Mm. And That's we, a nice visual. And there's no weight on which is more important because the whole picture is who they are.
1: Right. So I know you're doing seminars for parents (laughs) uh, about that specifically. So what kind of uh, guidance do you give them?
4: Well, I would say start talking about it from the beginning of start basically with the story of their adoption. And people say, oh, I'll sit them down when they're three or four and they can understand the concept. But we don't wait to say I love you till your child understands the (laughs) words I love you. Right. Right. You're supposed to talk to infants right away and they're supposed to be hearing language. So use this opportunity to tell your adoption story, including the story of how their biological parents chose you. Because by the time they're ready to understand it and ask questions, you've been practicing it for two, three years. It rolls off your tongue. It's with pride and it's not with angst or you're not stumbling over your words because we don't want them to misinterpret that as you are uncomfortable with the story and that something might be wrong with it.
2: Mm. They've been doing studies on babies in the wombs listening to their native language, their mother, their native language and listening to the cadence. And when they, so if you've got a English speaking baby, uh, when the mother or English words are spoken in that cadence is the baby kind of calms down and and listens and feels that Mm. rapid, that feels the cadence. And then I believe in this particular study that I was, they were speaking like Pakistani or something. And it was a completely different piece. And the, uh, the, the babies responded and their heart rates went up and they were kind of like trying to figure it out. So it really ties back to the cultural side of this of what what will draw each of us to our roots. Are imprinted. Yeah.
0: Can I, can I uh, having had, you know, 20 years of experience with my kids- Yes, you know, please. Sort of, I, think, I think the word that you want to use, I, I use mostly is exposure. You want to expose them to as much as you can. Expose them to- Black experiences. Our kids are are Black and Mexican. So we expose them, we try to expose them from an early age to as many different cultural experiences as possible. My oldest son never had contact with his birth mother. She disappeared. So he didn't have connection with his family to be able to even really connect with them, find out about them. So it's not connecting with that individual family, but mm-hmm. understanding what what the cultures were that he came from, and just to know that. Remember that they're going to go out in their their world and they have to mix with all different cultures. Right. People, Mexican people, will not understand that they know nothing about that culture. My older son, I can tell you, does not identify as black, does not want to be identified as black. Culturally, he feels like he's white. The problem is he walks out of the house, he's now living on his own for the first time, he's identified as, as black or Mexican. He looks more Hispanic. If he's in LA, if he's with Hispanic friends, he you may, he looks at, like he's one of the Hispanic. Right. People. But he, really he has skin that identifies him as a person of color and usually as black or Latino. And that that's the way he's going to be seen. And the expectations of friends of his are that he knows something about their culture. Why doesn't he know anything? But they each take... They each take what they want. So, uh, you know, Yoni is, uh, is, you know, rejects a lot of things because he identifies with us. Right. And has a little bit of everything.
1: Do you remember the time, do you remember the first time that they actually realized that they're different than you? What age was that? And what was the conversation? I'm sure
0: that was way before they ever talked. Right. Th- there's, there's, this, is, this is a myth that kids don't see. Don't see race, don't see color. They see it. They don't see it as a positive or negative until people fill them with, with things. And they hear bad things about different things. They hear bad things about adoption. They hear bad things about having gay parents. They hear that the, the attribution of good and bad is only attributed to them by others.
1: We hear what, uh, what Lane is saying and what Daniel is saying about the experience and, for all the uh, gay men out there who are thinking about adoption and hearing that there is a problem, and they're probably kind of um, reluctant, should I say, to really face that uh, with the, with their own, with themselves, what do you do to support them in their decision making once they decide, like going into these um, beginning days of adoptions? What do you guys as agency do?
4: Well, everybody, there's a psychoeducational component to getting a license to adopt, Mm -hmm. that's a home study. Mm -hmm. And part of that home study process includes transracial education, if somebody wants to be licensed to adopt a child outside of their own ethnicity. And that educational component, it's not just about arming people with the tools that will help them navigate the moments with their children. It's also drills down to even a more basic level of should we even consider this? Yeah. So it's about looking at your community. Who do you have over for dinner? Um,
3: who you, who do you have over for dinner? What, is that, wh- wh- what does that what what does that mean?
4: That your child shouldn't have the only people of color in their lives. When you drive fifteen minutes to go to a festival of their mm. culture, they should naturally, by default, have people that look like them in their lives, where they see you already loving people that look like them. If our circle of friends and family and our by default community looks only like us maybe transracial adoption isn't the right answer for us because you don't have to be open to transracial adoption um, in order to adopt. Sure.
3: So uh, I adopt, and then uh, five years later, Uh are you guys still involved in determining whether or not I am, you know, exposing my children to... No, it's dropped off by that point.
4: Well, um, we supervise a placement for Uh about six to maybe nine months after the placement, depending on... Mm -hmm. different factors that are moving forward in the adoption legal Mm -hmm. process once the case is finalized an adoptive family is just like any other family walking down the street Mm -hmm. we don't have a right to knock on your door and judge you (laughs) at the same time we are there as a support system for you and your family for the next 18 plus years so -hmm. that includes a post-adoption social worker that we have on staff that the parents can call at any time or the child eventually when they're are curious themselves or have questions themselves we have support groups ongoing every month that are virtual we have a monthly educational series where a keynote speaker um, speaks about a topic relating to adoptive parenting um, and it's also a community educational support forum Mm -hmm. so and we have annual adoption family celebrations where kids can grow up knowing each other that's cool so it's a community that stays in your life right um in a supportive way and that for you to reach out and touch base on when you could use the guidance and feedback
3: one one more I'm, i'm sorry to be splitting hairs on this but it is really very interesting to me and i think particularly meaningful so if a kid is uh or 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 and yet unborn uh kid is going to be uh, a little bit black and a little bit latin and a lot white okay what do you do with that i mean uh, so when i mean and in america this is happening more and more thank god if you ask me more and more all the time that children are a magnificent salad of right. of races Well, so how do you give guidance to a a parent or a prospective parent about the sensitivity to the racial history or culture of who knows what?
4: Right. Well, that's true because... At the beginning, we are relying on the self-report of the biological parents, Mm -hmm. right? And depending on whether or not we have the input just from the biological mother or if we have input from the birth father as well, Mm -hmm. we have either a fuller picture or some missing pieces. So we have to work with what we got. Right. Right. We want to make sure that we're not trying to parcel out percentages of DNA to try and predict what the child's color is going to look like. One, right. because DNA is unpredictable Two, because then we're engaging in a tight rope walk. where are slippery soap of color. Is right. Up. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So if someone's going to be open to Latino, African-American, Caucasian, they might wind up with a child who has all of those ethnicities, but we don't want a situation where, there's, where they're going to say, I'm only open to 25% of, <laughs> yeah. of Caribbean Indonesian right. or something like that, right? right? So if someone's going to be open to ethnicity, they have to be open to it, period, because we don't want to start into the judgment of, well, I only have to expose you to a little bit of Costa Rican culture because you are only 15% Costa Rican. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Right, that's not. It, it's
4: just it's just expose them. Right. Yeah, so they know, period.
2: And, and I'll add into with our experience, um, we were open to the uh, interracial, but as we meet this perspective, uh, mother or father as it is, do we feel like we're getting along with them and do we feel like that's going to be the good mix too, right? So, so yeah. there's there's it's not just handing off a race to you, but it's that you're part of that whole decision process throughout. Uh,
1: Jennifer, I have a question because he was talking about uh, like the parents being open. I'm thinking about like, what about because Lane kind of touched mm-hmm. that. What about the birth parents are not open to gay men being dads or that is that something that comes up?
4: The, well, less and less, I okay. would say right. So I've been in this field for about twenty five years. And in the beginning, some birth parents were um had feelings about whether or not they wanted. Um, a single parent or a heterosexual couple or a same-sex couple, Um, it wasn't, it was never, even 25 years ago, it was more unusual for birth parents to have a strong um, opinion not to have a same-sex couple. It's even less common now. I mean, Mm, I don't remember the last time somebody said that. If anything, same-sex couples are seen as... um, uh, I don't want to say uh, more needy, but like, oh, you're never going to accidentally conceive, <laughs> yeah. right? God
3: knows we've tried. Right. Yes. So a
4: lot of times birth parents feel like, okay, well, I know for sure they definitely need someone like me in their lives. They're never going to wake up one day with an oops. Right. Yeah. So if anything, there there's a draw there. Right. Right. Um, now, birth parents can choose things because it's open adoption and they have a right to choose the life that their child's going to have because that's the point of a voluntary placement, right? They sure. are as best as they can choosing the life that they want for the child that when they look in the mirror, they feel they, for whatever reason, cannot give. So if they want a Christian couple, if yeah. they you know, if they want a couple that lives part-time overseas, like those are the things that they get to at a very scary time in their life where they feel very out of control, they actually get to take the reins in a certain way and be able to have a sense of control and a greater purpose knowing what they're doing for this child.
2: And the obvious point here is because the open adoption, culturally, there is the connection that ties it all back. Right. right. But
3: now speaking, going back to race for a second, it just occurs to me, have you had birth mothers who have said to you, who are of, of a non-white race, mm-hmm. who have said to you, I want my children to have a white family? Because I can imagine, good, unfortunately, yeah. that that might be something attractive to them because of the perceived advantages that it right. comes with.
4: I'm sure it's happened. Right. More so than not, they they want a family who also has someone, a person of color. Mm. And sometimes it's not even, it has to be the parents. Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm carrying a child of color. Whether or not it's a parents or another child in the home, right. I don't want my child to be the only person of color in the home.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, That's more common.
4: Right. Understood.
1: Uh, uh, Lane, I have a question for you. Can you look back and tell me like a few things that you think Adoptive parents should learn if they adopt um, child of a, a, a different color.
0: I, I still remember this was a conversation I just had the other day with uh, with a friend of ours. We talked about a mutual friend was asking about what schools our kids were going to. I said, "Well, we're going here and there, you know, you know, they're very diverse." I said, "You know, I, that's really important for your children to go." I said, "No, actually, it's important for all children, and actually, the most important thing is for white children." to go to schools with diversity, because then mm. when they grow up with it, they don't suddenly experience children who are different from them, first in high school or college or beyond. And that's what's gonna change the world. Mm. I,
1: have a, I have a somewhat difficult question for you, and maybe Jennifer, from yeah. your experience. Um, did you ever r- ran into um, judgment from black parents saying that yes. you don't know? Can you talk a little yes. bit about that?
0: From a very, very, very early age, we found mo- more women to be open, black women to be open, mm-hmm. because the attitude, we we would stop people before we adopted. We would ask women on the subway, uh, in restaurants, we would stop them, this is us, say, hi, we're thinking of adopting a black child, what do you think?
3: <laughs> I would do that. And
0: we're, And we're gay and we're Jewish and what do you think? And I would say per, the predominant attitude from black women was, you're going to love that child?
3: Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: And that's good. Because I think there was so much seeing the need for the the children to be adopted and that, that there were so many children who needed homes. From black men, opposite. Mm. Um, some of it on the white side, but more on the gay side. Mm. Um, yeah. A lot of opposition. So my kids had lots of, black friends what would happen is they could go to their house but the black fathers would not allow them to come to
3: our oh, right. house oh,
1: that's
0: so right right our house would make them gay mm. and it was very difficult discussions with our children say so, well you know why doesn't tommy yeah allowed to come here and i'd say well his daddy thinks that you know you're gonna you know that Tommy's going to become gay because he said, like, "Well, that's really stupid." You know, I mean, the kid can understand. Said, so, right. "Right, but you understand that people have different perceptions, and that was a, that was a fear." Um, so they and I said, "When you get older and you have relationships away from us, listen that that's going to change because it's not going to be dependent upon the parents." Right. We used to have, we used to have one friend where the parents were divorced, and his mother used to have her the kid come over. And the parent and the father didn't know when the father, had custody, you know, had, right. He couldn't right. come over. So he knew that and he would not mention that.
1: Jennifer, did you have um, a parents... I
0: just want to mention yeah. from, from black men is the issue of how, you know, that you don't know what it's like to raise a black man. And yeah. we, again, we would ask, say, what do we need to know? We're already here. We already have these kids. So, you know, we're not going to give them up. So help us. And, and a lot of that turned out to be the talks mm-hmm. that we did not understand. Can
1: you more. give him an example of uh, what you need to, like, one thing that they tell you that they thought that you're not doing good?
0: It's or not they... what we weren't doing good. It's what they thought we couldn't do for them.
1: Right. Like what?
0: Because of our experience that we would not understand that they would be treated differently, that, that they would be second-class citizens. That, That's so sad. You know for our kids about job interviews and say, you need to go in there understanding that there could be 10 white people and, and you, and you're, you have to be as good or better.
2: You know, it it parallels so much of parenting though, right? Because you're never prepared for your kid to come home and ask certain questions. And then you're just stumped going, Oh shit, I knew this was going to happen and now it's here and I don't have an answer. And it's just having that preparedness on, all these topics yeah. and when you're doing the biracial, it's it's a whole not-
1: Jennifer, do you, did you have uh, parents come to you and say, oh my God, we just ran into black parents and they told us we don't know how to raise our kids. Does yeah.
4: that come up? Well, I think Lane, it does. And I think Lane approaches it the right way because the motivation for them coming up and saying something or doing something, it's not usually meant to be malicious. Obviously there's the unique circumstances mm-hmm. and that's a totally different scenario we can talk about, but most of the time it's out of fear slash care for the child, thinking that the child isn't getting their cultural needs met to prepare them with the tools they need to enter the world. Mm-hmm. So the way, the way Lane approaches it by with humility of saying, I'm open, I welcome your feedback, let's make this a productive conversation. And that's the way to do it. A lot of times if the adoptive parent approaches it with, uh, reactionary, defensive response, You've one, lost an opportunity for education, and two, just reconfirm to that person who has mm-hmm. fears that you're not open to learning. So Huge a lot point. of times, the, yeah, one of the first things that come up is hair. So what yeah. people tell me is that they get approached in the grocery store and Target by people, a lot of times women, mm-hmm. saying, do you know how to do her hair? Yeah. Because hair is not just hair in the African community. It's sending a message to other people um, the upbringing of the child. Are they well taken care of, you know? Um, and so that's, I'd say, one of the very first things that adoptive parents can expect to be approached on. I don't know, Lane. did anybody approach you with that?
0: It was less so because we had boys. Right. It was easier right. to keep it that's short, just- but with girls, it's a big, 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 big issue. Now, now I can say Yoni is having issues and he's going to a black hair cutter and he's helping him with his scalp. You know, there's issues, uh, very different issues than we well, have. Yes, yeah, I mean, You know, ask all the questions you want and get what you need because we don't know.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of remind me, and I think I, I mentioned it in the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter episode that we had uh, about two years ago. There is a uh, one scene in the uh, in the TV show This Is Us uh, in the pool when she she adopted a, a, a black kid, and she had two white kids. And there's a woman who coming comes to her, yeah. a black woman, and said, "You don't know what to do with your son. You don't know what to do with his hair." And at the the first moment, like she's like so, and it makes me kind of cry because you know it's she's like, she doesn't mean to really be do ma- bad things to the kids. She just does, doesn't know, so she takes it as a criticism, and she kind of you know, cooking it with her, with herself. And then she comes to that black woman and said, okay, teach me how to do that. Tell me where to go. And I think that's a beautiful, it was a beautiful scene with Mandy Moore. And um, and I think that's kind of what you say, Lane. that, um, uh, you know, take this opportunity to, to really educate yourself all the time. I mean, we educate ourselves, I think, as parents, ourselves all the time, like regardless of like race or about everything. So that should be like one part of, that we really, I guess, have to pay attention, right?
3: So I want to ask, I can't let this, this interview come to an and end should, without asking yeah. a question which we may or may not include in the interview because, you know, Papa has to keep a job. So here's the, here's the question. We've talked very much about affirming the race, the different race of the child, What if I were to tell you that I would also be interested in dramatically reducing the focus on race? What do we do about that? Are you are you guys going to tell me now that the only hope I have for my child who is of a different race than mine is to double down on something which we all, I know, all of us agree on this in this conversation is a problem in our society right. which is such a heavy emphasis on race. What do we do to head in the opposite direction and raise not only our children but our children's friends such that they are not so focused on the differences that exist as a result of race. What do we do about that?
4: Well, I think there's a fear that if we expose and acknowledge it, that somehow it's going to gain momentum in a powerful way that becomes the focus of their life. Yeah. Okay. And I think it's the opposite. I think if we minimize it and try and stuff it away, mm. then they say, "Oh, why are we? Why are, Absol- are we avoiding it? Well, I must be. There must be something." interesting about that or maybe my parents are protecting me from something right. because they care yeah. about me so what is it really it almost draws more attention to it when you try and avoid Ooh, it don't versus- say gay yeah yeah it's right, a, right, a bit exactly. of a don't don't say gay thing right, right exactly. i accept that Yeah. so, so the so it's <laughs> just there as exposure as part of a default of it's not something maybe you're talking about every day right. but it's also not something you're avoiding right right because that will give it power that it doesn't need to have it's a fact they they come from a culture they come from a heritage they are of a certain color period you try and avoid that then you're creating a question of why are we avoiding it what's bad and wrong about it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right so kids who have the information the knowledge whether it's about the history of their biology um understanding why their parents placed for adoption their ethnic history those are the children that don't ruminate
2: Mm. the
4: children that ruminate are the ones that don't have the answers fair
2: enough yeah you know and I, i think there's another side as you're talking i'm kind of thinking what torby's going through Kids have so much access to information now. So they will find it if they need it, and you're not giving it to them. So it and is. And it'll be bad yes. when they find yeah. it. Yeah, you're it out will. of control.
0: One of the things that I think parents feel is they just feel inadequate. So what happens is they avoid. And yep. I think yep. one of the things as a parent you get to know is you don't know everything. You don't right. know anything about everything. So, <laughs> and I'm telling you, Google is the greatest friend. So, <laughs> You know, so talk about access to information. It's not just for kids. It's for parents. So anything your kids bring up, whether it's about race, about religion, about anything, you know what? I don't know that much. Why don't we look at this together? Why don't we explore this together and find out? What are your questions? I have questions, too. Let's do that together. If you are together That'd as a parent, a partner with your child in educating themselves, as long as they see you as someone that they can come to and talk to about anything, they don't expect you to have all the answers. They expect you to help them guide them through life. And that's going to happen with everything. So you just sit down and say, let's, let's look that up. Let's do some research. Let's find that out. What what can we do? What do you think? What do you think we can do to find out? Who can we meet? Who can we talk to? Right. And, and then the journey is one you're taking together. You don't have to know everything.
1: Yeah, you're right. And I think awesome. it's a great uh, close, closing for our discussion today. I want to thank Jen- Jennifer and Lane for, for talking to us. Um, I learned a lot. Me too. This was Good. excellent. Really appreciate right. it, guys. Thank you so much. Daddy Square, the Gay Dads podcast. We're coming back from the interview, and I'm Jan. I'm Alex. And I'm Daniel. And I love Jennifer's advice about uh, starting telling the story to them when they're babies, even before they can talk. Um, I find it so valuable to talk to the kids while they're, you know, when they're babies because, you know, you get the time to kind of practice and everything. Like
2: she gave a very good uh, uh, speech about that. So I love that. I've known Jennifer since we adopted Torby, and uh, Lane was our coordinator, as was Jennifer uh we were trained to tell this story and somewhere on our instagram feed you'll scroll back and torby and i this was two years ago maybe we're on on the bed watching the phone watching the story he would recite the story back to me that he told of his bed of his bedtime story which was his adoption story Oh yeah. yeah, it's pretty cute. How can we watch that? Uh, you can watch the video somewhere in the feed. I'll try to go repost it. But DZNRDAD on Instagram. So here's the thing that I learned or I thought about
1: while while we're having this interview. So a lot of dads, a lot of gay men who wants to be dad through through adoption will say we want. We don't want to be picky. We want to have whoever. We don't care about color. Like we want to have whoever uh, can give us uh, a child, right? But then you look at your surrounding and you don't have any black friends. You are your the school that you're going to have your kids sent to has no black children. So I I really value what uh, Jennifer said about looking at your surrounding. And figure out whether or not you are ready, your life is ready to have a transracial
3: kid. Listen, I, I have to say, I am so torn about this. The thing about this interview that was so meaningful to me, and I I have spent a lot of time both before the interview and certainly since the interview thinking about this. As a gay man, uh, when you come out, you go through a process, uh, hopefully, if you're lucky, you go through a process of... Not only coming to terms with it, but developing a sense of pride in who you are and being not only comfortable with being different, but occasionally enjoying the fact that you are different from your surroundings and realizing that part of what can make the world a better place is embracing those differences rather than being uncomfortable with them. Then you go and you have children. And when your children are very small, uh, if you're me, you start talking to them about how exciting it is to be different, to be weird. Well, one of the reasons why you do that, if you're a gay man, is because your kids are going to go to school and have two daddies. And you want to make sure that you lay the groundwork of having them comfortable with the fact that this is a weird and different situation. I don't tell my kids this is normal. I tell them it's different and different is exciting. And that brings me to the thing that sort of Uh, has been a real challenge to me from this discussion, which is why don't I want a child who is of a different race from me? Why doesn't my child want to be of a different race from her or his parents? Why is it that we are going for, let's keep the races together, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Now, of course, I see the idea that a child doesn't want to be different from his surroundings all the time. But you know what? Like, life is tough. Maybe we really want our children to get comfortable with being different.
2: But as you're saying this, I'm even having this vision, this conversation almost needs to have that person who grew up in a different home because you are approaching it from a white boy growing up in a white family as would i mm-hmm. and 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 we're, Jan, and we're not that but what about the i'm a the gay black? boy who grew up
3: in a straight family
2: fair but i don't think we can exactly equate gender and or sexuality and With race, race yeah. the same so i would be very curious to hear this from a a racial interracial um parental situation from the, you know from the child growing up yeah, And I yeah, think uh, Lane I also kind of
1: pointed out that uh, even though we don't see that, the world sees that. Right, um, right. And, and I think it's very important to remember that, uh, yes, we say we don't see color and we love our kids no matter what. But that's not how the world sees that. And he has, I mean, we didn't have this experience, but he did. That people came to him and literally told him to his face their racial uh, thoughts.
3: So, yes, Listen, I am not, I don't have the racial difference experience. I have religious difference experiences. I have uh, uh, sexual orientation difference experiences. And I just, I'm concerned about the idea that rather than embracing diversity within a family, we're concerned so much about it that we're going to avoid diversity within a family.
1: I'm not saying to avoid, but, you know, what I'm saying is that. I think that we should take what Jennifer said or recommended about like looking around you and see if your surrounding can fit a, a transracial kid and if
2: not change that. It's not a big deal. With I that mean, I'm
3: completely in agreement. Of course that
2: makes perfect sense. Yeah. So before the interview I had said something that I'm having actually some struggle with because I said that I didn't have a inter racial adoption. And I realize I did. I see Torby as white, I guess. Yet we do talk about his cultural differences where he comes from, especially after we did our DNA stuff and he gets really tied into some of the Mexican sides of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm struggling with that because I'm, I'm (laughs) realizing I'm falling right into that trap of, I don't see my kid of color. Um, yeah. Is that a good or a bad thing?
3: I don't know. And and the question is, what does he learn from that? Does he learn on one hand that um, you know uh, he's not uh, of color, and then others you know treat him as if he is, and that's a conflict for him? Or does he actually come away from it saying, "My father thinks of me as just like everybody else," mm-hmm. and that's empowering? I don't know what the answer to that is. And by the way. Just going back to what I said before, the last thing in the world I want is for a child to grow up in a situation that is unnecessarily painful or difficult for them. Of course not. I just I just want to make sure that we're opening the world up to the possibility that these interracial situations can be wonderful and they're not always something to avoid.
2: No, absolutely. And I'm going to circle back on that because Torby goes to school with um, a, a really diverse range of ethnic groups. Um, And I'm so proud of him because most of his friends are of a variety of color and nationality and religion, et cetera, from around the world. So, and he doesn't, he's not shy about talking about his Mexican roots or, you know, he's inquisitive about his um, Jewish roots. So I don't know, maybe we're doing it right.
1: I think that uh, the analogy that uh, uh, Jennifer said about the the background being the root of a tree, the roots and the and the family that is raising is the actual tree. I think it's beautiful and
2: yeah. it's uh, it makes a lot of sense. I feel like we had a nosedive of energy, A little bit, yeah. <laughs> little bit,
1: because it's a hard subject. I think it's a very tough subject.
3: Um, I think I think it's an incredibly tough subject, and uh, it's funny because. I guess I need to always go back to the thing that I say about race, gender, sexual orientation and everything else, which is you can have, I can have arguments about, you know, the way we should be as a society uh, dealing with these issues, but ultimately it comes down to one-on-one and the individual. And if you care deeply about that individual, that's what matters. And all of the
2: other kind of rules and structures that are created around it are much less important. I think that's a really good point. Um, if the kid feels safe, they're going to come back to you and you're going to have these open dialogue yeah. conversations. And I think that is really the take-home. And okay. if you don't hide the fact that you're adopted until later in life and you've talked about it all your life there's no surprises which builds the trust and takes care of that beautiful tree do Thanks, people Jennifer. by the way do people <laughs> do people
3: still do this thing where they don't tell their kids that they're adopted to like they're teenagers or something
2: no, it's just this I, Jerry Springer show right,
3: I, right. <laughs> I, it's like it feels like it's only on soap operas I've
2: actually talked to a few people um, and had had the the fortunate ability to encourage them to talk about it. Yeah, I've, I've met a couple people who are still doing the whole we're not going to talk about it. And oh, like, dude. Wow. There is so much research that just talk about it now so you never have to be surprised later. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah, because otherwise later, yeah, Jerry Springer. Jerry For For sure. Springer, here we go. <laughs> right? Yeah. is going to be so boring in the future. <laughs>
3: Daddy, that's q-r. Com.
2: So
1: to a completely different subject, men having babies corner. Today uh, we're going to talk about... Um, something completely unrelated to uh, adoption. We're going to have the MHB staff member, Lisa Schuster, talking about the effect of COVID-19 on surrogacy. As the p- pandemic goes down, we are left with a long-term effect. So let's hear from Lisa.
5: This is Men Having Babies Corner. COVID has had such a big impact on all of our lives and it certainly had a big impact on surrogacy journeys. Um, Some of those impacts are here to stay and some of them are slowly getting back to normal. When COVID first was around, there was a lot of changes to the logistics involved in a surrogacy journey. Travel was hard, you weren't permitted to visit clinics or hospitals or any sort of those facilities and moving forward with your journey. Um, And that created a lot of extra legwork um, and virtual visits and all of that. That's really returning it back to more normal. You can go in person um, to a lot of the visits with your surrogates, certainly to your clinic um, and all of that. So that's something that's really we're seeing shifted back um, to that, although we still have the, the wonderful benefit of virtual appointments being more readily available, which is a positive outcome from all of this. The biggest impact that we've really seen from COVID is really the wait times when it comes to matching with a surrogate. There's not as many women willing to be surrogates at this time. Additionally, because a lot of people took pauses in their journeys and didn't move forward during the pandemic, there's a lot more intended parents getting started on their journey. So you have more intended parents and less um, gestational carriers wanting to move forward. So you have longer wait times and additionally increased costs as compensation for surrogates is going up. Cost in general has increased a lot for surrogacy. As you probably noticed, just your trip to the grocery store, um, your everyday life costs have gone up. That's the same for surrogacy as well. So, all of the costs really involved in a surrogacy journey have gone up um, over the past two years or so um, as a direct reflection of COVID um, and the general inflation.
0: For more information, go to menhavingbabies.org.
1: Thank you, Lisa Schuster, and thank you, Men Having Babies. I wanted to comment on uh, longer waiting time for surrogates. Um, so a few weeks ago, we featured on, an, on our Instagram account a gay dad who's also an adoption attorney, Robert Lamarche, uh, who explained why adoption times is becoming longer as a result of COVID-19. Some of the reasons are actually human. People have less sex. Because, During, you, because of the pandemic, so, so less so. babies, uh, and there was a decrease in birth rate in uh, 2021. Wow. COVID, in that sense, affecting not only the babies to give for adoption, but also in surrogacy, um, not enough uh,
2: surrogates who are willing to actually do that. New births versus older uh, adoptions.
3: Right, baby, yes. baby adoptions yeah. versus g-
2: more grown-up kids, yeah. Uh,
1: two other things that I want to kind of c- circle in that uh, on our website this week we posted an interview with Anthony. Uh, he's a gay dad who's doing a surrogacy journey. Um, he recently suffered a miscarriage, but he gathered all of the receipts from all of the clinics appointments. All, all of the expenses. Yeah, all of the expenses that he had uh, during that journey so far, and he posted it as a as a spreadsheet on our website, wow. so people can use it as a as a resource. So you can see exactly what do you need to pay for and how much it costs. So um, I think it's very valuable.
3: Before you go to the page, uh, drink a glass of wine. Um, because there are a lot of numbers there.
1: Yes, there is. Yeah, well. and, um, and on that note of surrogacy, um, uh, I heard this week of a horrible story about a f- fake surrogacy agency. And I assume there are also adoption agencies who are not really it's agencies. A, There's a people who are scamming you for money and run away with it. Um, so oh. just... If you try to have a baby through surrogacy or adoption, just make sure that somebody worked with that agency before and try to talk to these parents. Um, I wouldn't pay, 80, in, their, in their case, it's $80,000 to an agency as a, as a fee to start doing the surrogacy uh, without any discussion with any parent who worked with them.
3: One resource that might be worth checking out is menhavingbabies.org, where there is actually, there are actually listings of verified agencies. This is a nonprofit organization whose job is to help uh, gay men who are trying to have kids through surrogacy so uh, best to check them out to make sure that you're starting with somebody reputable
1: yes because that, that story was really heartbreaking I'll, I'll try to repost it on our no, social media as well
2: it's a good point and after after our agency and we went with them and they unfortunately are no longer um in existence but I heard a few stories of people getting taken on adoption and I'd referred them over to Jennifer. So um, just do your homework. There's a lot of resources out there. Ask, ask, ask.
1: I know know what the the thing is that people like it costs money, yes, and people tend to what cost less. But, you know, some of it, if it's not verified, please don't do this uh, without consulting with previous clients or
2: other people. Yeah, they should want to be transparent and open for you.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So we're getting bags packed for the weekend and Torby comes to me last night with a pair of rainbow socks that are in his drawer and has a little rainbow band on the top and he comes to me and goes, dad, if I wear these, does it mean I'm gay? And I'm sitting here going, why is my kid asking me this? And what if, it, what is the problem? He's going through that preteen mm. distinction of are people going to represent me as gay and yeah. so it's bringing up a whole lot of topics. It's
3: yeah. interesting because I guess that hasn't oh actually that has happened with us not with socks because we don't, we don't have rainbow <laughs> socks man um, but but our kids have asked me the same question and I'm very straightforward about it. My answer is no it doesn't mean that at all. Yeah and I and, said that and but as still, far as I'm
2: concerned the it's, fact that they would ask the question
3: look, hold on Sexual orientation matters a lot. And I don't mean because one of them is right and the other one is wrong. I mean because I don't believe people are cavalier about their sexual orientation. You care about whether you're attracted to women or you're attracted to yeah. men, and we shouldn't be as a society downplaying that and saying that <laughs> that's not important. You should love women on Mondays and Tuesdays and men on Thursdays and Friday. like y- you care and you you it matters to you in terms of how you present yourself and who you are, and that's okay. I just think we have to. Be be careful not to establish that one of them is the right way and the other is the wrong way you know so i think that's okay
2: well i tried to remind him that the flag represents just inclusivity all around um and that it's not a gay flag that everybody can enjoy the rainbow and we can all be lovers and carers of one another of Kumbaya.
3: Were they horizontal or vertical Ray though <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> We're not redesigning the flag. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Before we go, I want to um refer to the holidays that is coming up and approaching us. Um the Mariah Carey holiday, <laughs> other than, uh, otherwise known as Christmas. <laughs> right. And Hanukkah as well. So uh
3: Daniel, do you celebrate Christmas?
2: Uh we do. We Great. do. Great. Do you have a tree? Uh, it's going up this weekend. Oh, good. Do
3: you do do you do real or do you do one of those pop up trees? Right. When he
2: says real, it means Instagram dead. real. <laughs> a dead, a dead tree. It, it is a artificial tree, but ah, it looks yeah. super real. But yeah, I just don't believe in the whole harvesting and et cetera, et cetera. So I just well, yeah.
0: but it
3: I've easy, watched easy. I've watched these poor Christian people. I mean, they put up this tree and then it falls apart, and there are like little bits of oh, Christmas tree all over all the floor. Makes. And then you got to, Yeah, no, I don't, I, don't don't want the,
2: the, I don't want the house to catch on fire. I mean, there's just a <laughs> yeah. lot of things. Yeah. All right. And then that well, damn thing sits on the curb for five weeks. All oh, right,
1: I, I want to see some pictures. I hope it's magnificent. We're not allowed a tree here. No,
3: that is correct. I <laughs> have that's a my, forfeit tree. That's because trees. of me. I have
1: by a the little forfeit
2: tree you can borrow. No trees. It's as tall yeah. as you are. Uh, no.
1: Alex is the minister of religion, and he says no. <laughs> uh, thank you all for writing to us. Uh, please continue to do so. I got some uh, very interesting uh, questions this week uh, about... And it's kind of related, you know? Uh, somebody asked me about... Um, uh, how do I instill my Israeli inheritance in my children? And I oh. said, you just have to live it. If you don't forget it, I'm
3: just giving it to you. Uh, like it's not entirely look, true. You put a lot of effort into the games that our kids play, but the I don't songs think it's that an they sing. That's well, the okay. thing. It's not an effort. It's just
1: I'm bringing, ah. I'm bringing it out. And they're in the so U.S.?
2: Think, that question that? is coming from the U.S. versus, say, in From Brazil. Australia.
1: Oh, okay. um, so uh, I'm just saying that uh, for, for me, it's... Uh, since they were babies, I was talk, talking to them in Hebrew, reciting t- TV shows in Hebrew, right? Like all of the things that I know how to recite from all of the gay icons
3: in Israel. Yeah. Um, Daniel and, and I, um, we know how to instill Americanism into our children. What you do is, whatever they have, you ask them, could you stuff that full of cheese? Or ketchup. <laughs> that's that's the question. Basically, whatever it might be, a toy, As the not crust the of a pizza, <laughs> can you stuff that full of cheese? <laughs>
1: um please write to us if you have any questions or want to say something we'd love to hear that hello at daddy and we're here as
2: always by the way do you know what comes up if you mistype your name in the podcast daddy if you start like I have a, I took a photo of it while we were driving Sorby, I love that yeah. but if you type in like daddy SQ and I, I'll, I'll verify later but he has a lot of kinky porno related oh, stuff <laughs> yes. we are kinky porno adjacent kink.
3: here at daddy squared <laughs> that's excellent yeah I was, I All was right.
1: laughing Daniel thank you so much and Alex thank you Thank, Thank you, guys. you guys, for being, Say bye know. to oh, everybody. All right, bye, bye. All right, all right. All right. No, no, no. We're
3: not. Dying. We're not doing bye. Okay. Bye is is forbidden here. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening.
2: Enjoy the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> As he shows me what comes up.
3: Wait, spanked and directed by Asmer Daddy. What does Asmer stand for?
2: And Um, pretty
3: putty. uh, (laughs) Daddy, what does that say? Daddy Daddy breeds breeds your. your, your, Oh my goodness! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this isn't that kind of podcast. Wow. Well, well, okay. Oh my! (laughs) (laughs) There's a good list here. Hilarious. Uh, <laughs> all
2: right. How guys. me
1: till I cry, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all from us at Daddy Squared. <laughs> See you next time.
3: Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye.